A lot of times we'll look uh, as speakers for something to grab uh, the audience's attention, something to, we call it the hook, try to get you in, get you listening right quick. And uh, luckily I don't have to do that today because the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the wise man of old, did that for us. Ecclesiastes 9 and 13, he says, This wisdom have I seen also under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. Why is this an attention getter? because the wisest man who's ever lived, the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth as a man, uh, other than Jesus, said whatever this story was was great unto him. He was amazed by this story. He was amazed by uh, the, the contents of the story and what it meant and what it meant to him and what it can mean to us. And that grabs my attention very quickly because the wisest man who's ever lived is looking at this story that we're about to read and he said, it's great, it's great. So what is the story? Well, it's a story about a poor wise man, a poor wise man. And over the years, I've read this story hundreds of times, I guess, and every time I read across it in the book of Ecclesiastes, I think there's got to be a sermon in there, got to be a sermon in there, it's too good of a story. But then I would wrestle it around and think about it and, and not be able to come up with exactly what I thought I, I needed to come up with. And in the past few months, I've talked to several of you and you've given me some ideas and I finally think I've got it to where uh, it's something that we can learn from. And so we'll follow it up there in Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter, and we'll read several more verses there, uh, picking it back up in verse number 14. It says, There was a little city and few men within it, and there came a great king against it and besieged it and built great bulwarks against it. Now this wasn't an uncommon thing uh, in that time and era. Uh, people, kingdoms were, were gobbling up country. They were trying to grow their kingdom by means of growing the territory which the kingdom oversaw. And so this king came to this particular little city and he said, here's just another city. Uh, I'm going to take it. And he did that. He evidently didn't have any trouble. It was just a little city. Uh, there wasn't a lot of power. They weren't well fortified, and he took it and captured it. It says that he besieged it, and he built great bulwarks against it. So now he's uh, entrapped the city. He's fortified the city. It belongs to him and to his kingdom at that point in time. As we continue reading, it says, Now there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. Now this is where the story gets really interesting to me in just these couple verses that here. There was a poor wise man. You know, it could have just said there was a wise man that lived in the city, but this was a poor man. He didn't have anything. He didn't have riches. He wasn't uh, a prominent man in the city. He wasn't the mayor. He wasn't on the city council. He wasn't somebody that was of great importance. He's just a poor man that happened to live in the city. Yet he was wise. He was wise. Maybe he was a former military person, I don't know. He evidently had some kind of military uh, wisdom about him because it says he in his wisdom delivered the city. How did he do that? Here's a great king, a mighty king that's fortified this city and one man comes up with an idea that delivers that whole city out of that king's hand. I wish we had the rest of the story there. I would love to know how he did it. I would love to know the plan that he developed. I would love to know how he got the buy-in of the prominent people in the city to convince them that this was the thing to do, that this was the direction to go. But all we need to know is that he did it. In his wisdom, 
he delivered the city, yet no man remembered him. You know, that seems like a very sad part of the story. Nobody cared. Nobody remembered him. You would think they'd have built a statue to the man or something. You would have think they would have given him some money and give him a place to live and put him in a prominent seat, but it said nobody remembered him. Nobody remembered that same poor man. This is what Solomon grasped from this story in the next few verses. He said, Then I said, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of a wise man, the words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. You see, Solomon grasped some things from this story, and I think we can too. And I want to talk about those things. And as I studied this, you know, I said I struggled forever and ever to even come up with a sermon about it. When I got into it, I thought I've got to do too. Because there's really some very simple surface lessons, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Some things that we need to notice from this story that just at face value, things we can learn about wisdom, about what wisdom is, about how we need to seek after wisdom. And that's why Solomon said the story was so great. But the second thing is there's some shadows of Jesus in this story. And Lord willing, if I have the opportunity to speak again, that's what we'll talk about at that time. Those shadows of Jesus that exist in this story as well. But today, I want to think about the poor wise man. And I want to think about his wisdom and how he used that. And I want to start by asking the question of what is wisdom? We throw this word around a lot. And we seek to become wise. And we seek to gain wisdom. And we talk about wisdom and the importance of wisdom. But what exactly is it? There are a few definitions that I want to look at. The first is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. It's the quality of having those things. Over time you gain experience, don't you? Hopefully you gain knowledge as well. The Bible tells us grow in grace and knowledge of the Word. And we talk about study and we, we pound that in that we've got to study the Word and know the Word. Understand the Word. And then having good judgment. So it's more than just knowledge, isn't it? Wisdom's more than just knowing what to do. I like this definition. It says the soundness of an action or a decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. So we're applying what we know. We're not just knowing it, but we're applying it. You see, wisdom pertains to our actions. We can have knowledge without action, but we cannot have wisdom without action. Wisdom applies to, to how we use the things we know to make decisions and to interact with others. And then this is maybe my favorite, knowledge and the ability to make use of it. Wisdom is knowledge and the ability to make use of that knowledge. It's not just knowing things, but it's the ability to take the things that we know and to make use of those things. Landry and I like to watch a show on TV, a game show. It's called Masterminds. And there's these three people that they've taken that are very, very smart people. And they've, they've deemed them masterminds. And they are always on the show, these three people. They're very smart they can answer just about any question about anything. And then they uh, also have three people that are just like you and me. That, that obviously they, they have some knowledge. They want to win some money. So they go on this game show and they try to beat these masterminds. Very rarely do they ever beat them. <laughs> the masterminds always seem to win in the end. 
But there's one particular guy on the show, his name's Ken Jennings, and you may have heard of Ken. He is uh, he's an all-time leader in Jeopardy. Uh, he knows everything about everything, it seems like. They cannot ask this man a question. I tell Landry all the time, if Ken wants to win, Ken's going to win. If he wants to let one of his partners win there, maybe he sets out and he doesn't buzz in or something, he lets one of his partners win. But if he wants to win, he's going to win. And they ask him questions about the Bible. They ask him questions about uh, history. They ask him questions about everything under the sun. Those people are obviously very knowledgeable. But I can't watch that show and know if they're wise. I just don't know. I know they're knowledgeable, but I can't tell by the questions they answer. Now some would say, oh, they're wise. But the truth is, and the true definition of wisdom is, we just don't know. Because I can't see if they're making decisions based on the knowledge that they have. If they're using that, if they're applying it, if they're making use of all that knowledge. So as we think about some of these lessons from the poor wise man, remember these, these three things. And remember wisdom in the context, especially of that last one, that it's knowledge and the ability to make use of it. So let's think about a few lessons that we can learn from this man. This poor wise man, and that's the first and most obvious, I guess, is that he was poor. You see, wisdom and riches are not synonyms, and Solomon wanted to make that point. You know, when Solomon had the chance to ask of God anything, and God was going to grant that, Solomon asked for wisdom. He asked for wisdom so that he could lead the people of God, so that he could discern and make right decisions. He understood that he was going to have to make a lot of hard decisions, and he wanted wisdom in order to do that. Now we know the rest of that story, how God granted him riches as well. And he was very rich and powerful. And, and he sat in a powerful seat and made important decisions and had lots and lots of money. But those two things are not necessarily interchangeable. They're not synonyms. They don't have to go together. You don't have to be rich in order to be wise. This man in the story that we just read was very poor. And you certainly... Uh, wisdom is not going to always make you rich. And we have to remember that. That's not what we should be seeking after. What do we know about riches? What do we know about riches? If wisdom is the knowledge of a certain thing and the ability to make use of it, what do we know about riches? And are we making use of what we know you know, one of the things that we know is that the love of money is the root of all evil. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 10 says just that. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We know that. We've heard that over and over and over again. Love of money is the root of all evil. And when we love money, it is just like a root. It binds us to this world. And no matter how hard we try to fight out, if we love money, it brings us back to the world. It brings us back to thinking about the world and dwelling on things of the world and seeking after money. You know, many crimes have been committed over money. People have decided, well, we're going we're gonna to deal drugs because we can make money. And they start to do that. And they get rich. They're definitely not wise. People have committed murder over money. Many lies have been told over money. All kind of sin comes up when we have this love for money. And, and we know that. 
22% of marriages that end in divorce end because of what's cited as money issues. There are problems that go along with money and riches. And we don't have to be rich in order to be wise. And In fact, in many ways, this poor man, it may have been easier for him to be wise because he didn't have to deal with riches. The second thing we, we know about riches is that if we want riches, even if we're not rich, and we want riches, we desire riches, it causes us to fall very easily. In the previous verse there, in, in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 9, it says, But they that would be rich, or they that desire riches, fall into temptation and a snare and a many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. You see, riches make it easy for us to fall. We know that. We know money is the root of all evil. We know riches make it easy for us to fall. And then, you know, the one we hear from a very young age, Matthew 19 and 24. But I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. It's hard for a rich person to enter heaven. It's difficult. And we know these things. And yet, are we applying what we know to our everyday dealings with money? Are we applying what we know to our everyday uh, thought process about riches and about money? And I know all these things. I'm not telling you anything new. Uh, I've known these things from a very, very young age. Been told these things, taught these things. And you know what happens? There are nights as I'm falling asleep, I'm not thinking about the Word of God, I'm thinking about money. Thinking about something I want to buy. Thinking about something I want to possess. Thinking about there's not enough money left in the bank. Thinking about how am I going to make more money in the future. Even though I know. That's not wisdom. That's not applying what I know. Wisdom is pushing those thoughts out and putting the thoughts about uh, heavenly and spiritual things in. And there's no simple way to do that. I wish I could tell you the magic bullet about how to do that. But going back to our definition... Wisdom has to do with experience. And experience takes time. And we've just got to experience and over a slow process over time, we've got to root these thoughts about riches and wealth out and replace them with thoughts about godly things. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 19 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves not break through nor steal. We've just got to change our thought process. That's wisdom. Being able to shift our thoughts, our actions, our desires away from riches, and on to laying up treasures in heaven and serving the living God. Second thing we notice there is that wise people help others. There's a, this is a wise man, a poor wise man, and he made it a point to help his fellow citizens in that city. And it could have been easy for him to sit back. I want you to think about poverty for just a second. Poverty is a difficult and terrible thing. And most of the time, the last thing anybody in poverty is ever thinking about is helping somebody else. They need help themselves. They're worried about where the next meal is going to come from. Where they're going to get clothes to wear. Where they're going to spend the night. Where they're going to lay their head and be able to sleep. These are the things that people in poverty are worried about. 
This man was poor. I don't know how poor, but he maybe didn't have a house. He maybe didn't know where he was going to eat. And yet, one thing he had to offer was some brilliant strategy to deliver the city out of the hand of this king. And he didn't just sit back and lay there and think, well, I'm poor, so nobody's going to listen to me. You know, I don't have a shot at getting them to hear my side or what, how I think this will work. It says that he in his wisdom delivered the city. He took advantage. He offered what he had to offer. I don't know what it was. I don't know what the plan was. But he gave what he had to give. What do we know about helping others? We know some things about helping others, don't we? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17 tells us that if we have this world's good and, shutteth, and seeth our brother or sister in need and shutteth up our bowels of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in us? We know that God expects us to help. He expects us to lend aid. We think about that in terms of money a lot. You know, if you have some money, it says that you should be ready to distribute. Back in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he talks about distributing our wealth, being ready to distribute. So, yes, that applies. But this poor man didn't have any money to give. So what did he give? He gave his wisdom. He helped them out of a tough situation. You know, you see someone besieged in sin and besieged in this world and you have the wisdom of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and you can deliver them out of that. What better help is there to, to aid anyone? That's the kind of help we're expected to give. That's the compassion that we're to have on others around us. We know that pure religion is defined by helping others. James 1 and 27 uh, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Pure religion. Visiting the fatherless and the widows. That just means seeing about them. It doesn't mean physically going and sitting down with them as we think about visit. It just means tending to their needs. Seeing about them. Help them. We know that. And we certainly know Matthew 25, verses 33 to 46, where it talks about uh, being sick and in prison and visiting and, and helping others. And, and they said, well, when have we done that? And he said, when you've done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And that was the difference between heaven and hell, folks. Helping others was the difference between heaven and hell in Matthew chapter 25 when he recounts that story of the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. It all boils down to being willing to help. We know those things, don't we? Yet we see somebody in need and we pass by on the other side. We just go around. Just like the story of the, great, of, the, of the Good Samaritan where the priest and the Levite came and they just went around. It's easy to go around. It's easy to go around. I broke down on the side of the road and uh, actually in the middle of the road I couldn't even get off to the side. All I needed was somebody to come help pull me off the side of the road. And I waited and I waited. And I got out of the truck and I waved at people and I waited and I waited. And finally somebody stopped. Pulled me off to the side of the road. That's all I needed. Just needed to get off to the side where I could tinker on the truck for a minute and get it to go. But I was very grateful to them. And I'll always remember that they stopped. And they helped. And that's important. 
But how are you helping others? Do you see others in, in, a, in a spiritual need? Do you help them or do you go by on the other side? That's maybe even easier than helping them in a, in a physical sense. We some, see somebody we, we know with a blowed out tire, we're going to help them. If we don't know them, we might not help them. But if we know them, we're going to stop and help them. But we see somebody we know that doesn't have the gospel and we go around on the other side. We go around on the other side and we pass by and pass by and pass by and we don't lend that aid. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is applying what we know. We know that if they don't receive the gospel, if they don't obey the gospel, then their soul is eternally damned. Wisdom is helping when we see them in need. Wisdom is applying what we know and pulling them out, having compassion. In Acts chapter 3 and verses 4 through 6, it says, Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know, Peter here uh, came to this man who had been lame for a long time, hadn't been able to walk. And this man was asking alms. He was a beggar. He just needed money. He, needed, he couldn't work. He couldn't walk. So he needed money. And people would come by and they would drop money in the can. And they'd get him by another day. And here comes Peter up here and he expects to, with, with John, and he expects to receive that same thing of them. They didn't have any money to give him. So Peter says, such as I have, give out of thee. And in this instance, he, he restored his ability to walk. A great gift. They also gave him the gift of Christ. That's the gift we have. That's the most important gift we have. And that's the best way we can help others. If you have $100 to give somebody that needs it, give them $100. If you have a little time to give somebody that needs you to spend some time sitting and talking with them, give, your, give of your time. Take the time to sit there. But I know every one of us has the gospel. Every one of us has the message. He's given us that message in earthen vessels and we can share it. And wisdom requires us. To share that with everybody that we come in contact with. Don't go by on the other side. The third thing we notice here is that wise people are not in it for themselves. As I said, we come to that part of the story that says no man remembered him. He delivered them out of, this, out of the king's hand. Whatever strategy he came up with, he delivered them. Perfectly, easily. Evidently nobody's life was lost. Everybody was restored. Everything was as it was. And no one remembered him. We went to Washington last summer and we walked around and we looked at monument after monument after monument of people that we hold in high regard. Washington and Lincoln and Jefferson and the founding fathers and the monuments that we built and we remember them. We remember what they did for this country. Yet when this man delivered the city, nobody remembered him. But you know what? I don't think it was important to him. He didn't raise a fuss about that. It didn't bother him that he wasn't remembered about it. You see, he was wise. And wise people aren't in it for themselves. They don't need the exaltation. They don't need to be set in a high place. They don't need a monument built unto them. He did it without bitterness. He delivered, he gave what he had to give, and he went on with his life. And that's what we need to do as well. Pride is a dangerous thing. But what do we know about humility? 
Because this man exhibited great humility. And wisdom and humility are things that we can interchange. Humble people are wise people. And wise people are humble people. And we notice some things about humility. Number one, we know that a humble person, uh, or in order to, to uh, exalt ourselves by God, we must first humble ourselves. And Matthew 23 and 12 says just that. He that uh, exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. There are many times in the scriptures that we see that exact phrase, or some variant of that exact phrase. That if we exalt ourselves, if we're puffed up with pride, and if we want to make a show of it for ourselves, then we're going to be brought down. And we're going to be brought down hard. But if we'll humble ourselves and recognize that we're nothing more than humble servants. That's what this wise man in this story was. He's a humble servant. He just wanted to help his city. He didn't want any praise for himself. He wasn't looking for that. He just wanted to do and give what he had to give. And if we'll live that kind of life, then we'll be exalted. Christ is going to exalt us in the end. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3 admonishes us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but as according as God hath dealt every man the measure of faith. What are people going to think about when I'm gone? How are they going to see me? How are they going to view me? What are they going to think about me? You know what the truth is? Your kids are going to remember you. Your grandkids will probably remember you. And then you're going to be a footnote in history. You're going to be forgotten. And that's, maybe that's sad. I, I don't know. Maybe that's harsh. I don't know it. But it's true. These people didn't even remember this poor man. A few days after he delivered the city. You know, I can go look at those monuments in Washington and see those guys and, yeah, read about them in the history books, but I don't think about them every day. I don't think about what they did every day. I've, all I know is some stories that have been passed down over time. Who even knows if they're true anymore? It's a humbling thing to realize that your life on earth is going to be forgotten. I have another friend just celebrated 50 years working for the A&M system. And he's made a great impact on the A&M system. He's made a great impact on the organization that I work for. But you know, he retired probably 15 years ago from, from the agency that I'm with and went to another agency within the A&M system. We don't talk about him much anymore. 15 years. Dedicated his life. Dedicated his every waking moment. And then he's forgotten. And I don't say that to be a downer. I say that to say we've got to focus our attention on the place we're not going to be forgotten. Jesus is not going to forget you. God is not going to forget you. And if you live a, a life of wisdom and you apply what you know about riches, about interacting with others and helping others, about seeking to save souls while you're here on this earth, if you apply yourself to those things and do those kind of things, He's not going to forget you. He's going to welcome you into heaven and you're going to be at peace forevermore. And though this life will be forgotten, the life that really matters is the one you'll be in then. And you won't be forgotten. It'll be a glorious and a wonderful thing. Don't worry about leaving a legacy. Just worry about 
being a humble servant. Just worry about serving God and helping others. That's what our life should be about on this earth. John chapter 3, verses 29 and 30. I want you to think about this. This is John the Baptist speaking. And the fact that in Matthew, the 11th chapter, and the 11th verse, Jesus says that there's no person born better than John the Baptist. Never has there been a greater person born on the face of the earth than John the Baptist. Now I want you to think about what John says here. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoice greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy, therefore, this my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. John said, I'm going to be nothing more than a little footnote in history. But Jesus is what matters. He says, and Jesus is my friend, and my joy is fulfilled because I'm celebrating my friend, and I'm sharing you the message of my friend, and I'm showing the way of life, not because I'm going to be anything great, but because he's great. And he's going to increase and I'm going to decrease. And that should be our goal in life. Increase Jesus. If more people know about Jesus when you leave this earth than when you entered it, you did your job. If, le if less people know, if you pass by on the other side and you don't tell them and you don't help them, then you didn't do your job. And that's what this verse boils it down for. It's not about you. It's not about glory for you. It's not about glory for me. It's about glory for the Lord, the one that we serve. We'll close with these thoughts. Wisdom is the principal thing. You know, as Solomon recounts this, he says, wisdom's better than strength. Wisdom's better than the weapons of war. Wisdom is a great and powerful thing. And in Proverbs, he says it like this, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. If there's something I want to leave you with today, we picked out three little things to look at in this story about the poor wise man. We talked about applying wisdom as it pertains to riches. We talked about applying wisdom as it pertains to helping others. And we talked about applying wisdom uh, as far as not being in it for ourselves. I had to look back. I was drawing a blank there. But wisdom is the principal thing. You've got to seek wisdom. It takes experience. It takes understanding. It takes an ability to learn from mistakes and go forward in a better way. So what do we know about wisdom? We know that it's better than strength. Ecclesiastes 9 and 16 in this story said it's better than strength. We know that God's wisdom is not worldly wisdom. There's a drastic difference between the two things. We can gain worldly wisdom. We can learn and gain wisdom about the world. And we can make decisions that get us ahead in the world and make us successful in the world that has nothing to do with godly wisdom. Godly wisdom has to do with making choices that pertain to morality. We know how to live a moral life. Are you executing what you know? You know how to live according to God's Word. Are you executing what you know? Are you making use of that knowledge as it pertains to living a godly life? We know that God grants wisdom liberally. In James 1 and 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. God wants to grant you wisdom. But you've got to ask. He expects you to get the knowledge. He expects you to study. He expects you to gain the knowledge. And then pray to Him and ask Him for wisdom. Ask Him for help applying that wisdom. 
applying that knowledge and turning it into wisdom, and he'll do that. He'll do that for you. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 13 says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. Don't just know. Do. Apply what you know. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.